Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Katie Martin. Today we're looking at the use of chemicals in agriculture amid growing evidence of the harmful impact they're having on the environment and on human health. Maya Palmer discusses potential alternatives with Helen Browning, Chief Executive of the Soil Association, Adam Speed of the Crop Protection Association, and Andrew Diprose, Chief Executive of Rootwave, a startup that uses electricity to kill weeds. Maybe you can start us off, Helen. There's a lot about this in the news, glyphosates, neonicotinoids being banned. Why do we have this problem with chemicals? Well, there are so many problems. I mean, if you look back over the last 70 or 80 years, we've gone through a whole range of types of chemicals from sort of DDT and organochlorines, the organophosphates, the neonicotinoids, now we're on to glyphosate. And every group has been used for maybe 20 or 30 years. And then we've ended up finding that it's got an environmental impact or a human health impact and we've banned it. So I think that we've got to get off this treadmill where we ban stuff eventually, but when it's really too late. Do you think we always have a problem with chemicals or are there any that have been safer or, you know, could we just use smaller amounts of them? I can't think of any chemical that has persisted through the decades and is still in use today and thought to be safe. Glyphosate was the one, actually, as a farmer, even as an organic farmer, that I believed was that chemical. So I think for a lot of us, when glyphosate is thought to be questionable, that really does feel like the end of the road. Adam, is that a sort of fair assessment? Do you think there's a feeling that we've really come to the end of developing in terms of trying to find something that's safe on the chemical side? I absolutely don't. I think in terms of R&D and future development, you know, our members are constantly looking at new products, new chemistry, which is safer, more efficient, much more targeted, much more effective, lower in terms of its environmental impact than things that have gone before. I think harking back to the chemistry of the kind of 60s and 70s is like comparing an old landline with the latest iPhone. Glyphosate is an interesting example. I mean, it's been looked at consistently for 40 years by expert independent regulators all across the globe. None of them say that it poses any sort of unacceptable risk to human health. And the way it's used and the approach farmers take actually minimises the risk from it. Helen, would you like to come back on that? Just this week, there was a report out signalling that glyphosate may now be toxic to bees. So we reviewed all of the work that had been done on glyphosate on soil health. And you're right, it's still contested, but there are impacts. So I think there is a strong question mark around glyphosate in a way that none of us would have thought 10 years ago. Andrew, what's your perspective on this? When I talk about this, I put the health and environmental issue to one side because there is conflicting arguments in that space and conflicting evidence as well. The big question is that even if you look at what's happening, there is a trend to reduce the use of pesticides. You've got resistance increasing, so the overuse of these chemicals is causing nature to fight back. You've got regulators looking to ban their use. And then from a chemical company perspective, you've got the cost of litigation increasing. So irrespective of the health environment, there is increasing amounts of pressure on the use of herbicides. And unless alternatives are given the support they need, then we'll get to a situation where they are stopped, perhaps, and there will be no alternative. And there'll be real consequences for farmers and ultimately consumers when it comes to the price of produce. But you're trying to develop one of these alternatives. So RootWave your company is developing a way to zap weeds electronically. How does it work? It's quite simple. I mean, our tagline says it all. We zap weeds with zero chemicals. And effectively, what we do is electrocute them. And the result is that the weeds are boiled inside out from the root upwards. It's sustainable and organic. 
And when I say sustainable, it's not only a reduction in the use of chemicals, but it's a reduction in the water use and a reduction in the fuel use. It's no-till, and because the way electricity flows through the ground and you also treat underneath the, and the root structure, that addresses one of the primary benefits of using chemicals, which is you can use no-till farming. So you don't disturb the soil, you don't unearth new seeds, increase soil erosion, carbon emissions and disease. And finally, because it's a very efficient technology and there's no waste in the system, then it's actually cost comparable with using herbicides. And if you marry it with green energy from solar or wind and robotics, and actually looking at a solution that is an order of magnitude lower cost than the current cost of chemicals. Why have we not been doing this before? This idea has been around for 100 years. The first patent was killing weeds on a railway track using a steam engine. But over the last century, the idea hasn't gone anywhere because... Primarily, the equipment was large, heavy and expensive, and herbicides were cheap, abundant, easy to apply, and no one knew about any potential risks of their overuse. Is it a lot more expensive at the moment? At the moment, it will be cost-comparable when we launch our cultural products. In the future, I fundamentally believe will be much lower cost, just because of the very nature of it. There's no consumables. It's hardware that can be inexpensively mass-produced. So today we're developing a machine that you put on the back of your tractor, and it goes through your cereal, vegetable and fruit crops. It uses vision recognition to spot the weeds before zapping them. But in the future, we're making our technology work from batteries effectively, and that allows us to integrate with all the next generation of weeding platform, your fully autonomous weeding robots, and that will allow you to reduce your energy input costs and also your labour costs. And that's where I'm saying we can get to a stage where we can actually reduce the price from the current cost of weed control today. So it can definitely tell the difference between a weed and a, a plant that you want to keep, and it's not going to zap the wrong thing. Yeah, sure. We're actually developing that technology ourselves. There's about 30 companies out there in the world that have solved or are solving that problem. So technology to individually spot what's a weed and what crop already exists. Adam, I want to bring you in here at this point again. Do you think there's a lot of interest amongst your organisation members in looking at sort of alternatives like this, like electricity? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I want to make it clear. Our members aren't solely in the business of just selling chemicals for chemical sake. To be a member of the CPA, you have to sign up to an approach which we call integrated pest management, which considers all the alternatives of weed control. The scalability issues mean for the time being, at least, certainly for the next kind of 10 to 15 years, we're still going to need modern synthetic chemistry and farms are going to still need access to those tools to continue to provide healthy safe affordable food to consumers well can i ask you actually andrew how soon do you think you'll see your products scaling up in the market we're looking to have these products globally available by 2020 it's amazing how necessity is the mother of invention. I mean, it, when you look at all of the kickback, there was around the neonicotinoid ban and how quickly the farming industry has started to adapt to that. Once you know a ban's coming or once you have a ban in place, you find that people do start to be a lot more ingenious. So I think it's a question of how do we keep the pressure up? How do we keep moving these techniques forward? And some of them will be technological and some of them will be much more around bringing back some really sound practices of yesteryear. What have you seen that you find most promising in terms of bringing results? Well, I mean, as you know, as an organic farmer, we're obviously using things like rotations, which means you're breaking the pest cycles and that kind of thing. We're using techniques like undersowing. We're choosing varieties that are resistant, all that kind of thing. But I think one or two ideas, using wood chip to protect against apple scab. There seems to be real interest around that kind of thing. Apple scab is a big user of chemicals. Looking at the spacing of trees, for instance, to try and make sure that you're getting more air between. 
Some of the robotic ideas, I think, are really exciting. There's so many new approaches coming through. To what extent will we see and how soon could we see a future where you really are seeing robotics in farming, these autonomous weeding, tilling, harvesting? To me, it feels like it's just around the corner for some uses, probably in horticulture, before you get it into you know, some of the animal husbandry systems. I think it will be more challenging. But I think the potential is significant because apart from anything else, we need to get rid of big tractors. Big tractors are causing a huge amount of damage to soils. So we need to be scaling down our kit and robotics will potentially allow us to do that. Andrew, what's your view on robot technology? Well, having gone through this process ourselves, having the technology there is one question. Having the business model, the distributor channels, the sales and supports and all that kind of stuff is a different question. So actually, the technology, I think you're right, is just about there. You know, I've seen 10, 15 companies that have these fully autonomous weeding robots. But the question is, can they be globally available tomorrow? And the answer to that is no. They need time to build up their businesses. Adam? The one for me that's really close or that feels close from our perspective is the use of drone technology using satellite imagery to precisely apply plant protection products directly to plants using drones. I think that's really exciting. And as I say, I don't think that's too far away. One thing that comes up is maybe this is not an appropriate solution for everywhere. You know, when you look at places like, say, Africa, where you don't have a lot of money necessarily by farmers to invest. What's your view, Helen? Well, I think that organic type approaches are probably more appropriate in Africa than almost anywhere because a key part of what we need to do is to build soils so that they become more nutrient retentive and less drought prone. And we need very low cost technologies in those places. If you look at the death rates from pesticide use, some 200,000 a year, a lot of those are in the developing world because they're using chemicals unsafely without the protection we tend to use in the West. And, you know, research has shown that you can double or triple yields very quickly using organic type techniques in those fragile environments. And so we really could feed the 10 billion world population that's been projected. I have absolutely no doubt that we can feed the population healthily and well. Adam, to what extent do you feel your members share Helen's view? I think the UNFAO themselves estimate that food production will need to increase 50% by 2050 in order to meet that demand of a population set to reach 10 billion. We already lose around 30 to 40% of agricultural yields every year to pests and diseases. And without the use of pesticides, that amount would increase even further. It isn't always about reducing yield. Even in a European context, I think some of these complex systems that new technology will allow us to manage will produce far more than a monoculture of wheat. Andrew, what's your view on this? Cultural change is already happening. If you look at the growths of the different markets, I can't remember the exact numbers, but conventional agriculture is growing at 3 or 4% a year, whereas organic culture is growing at double digits a year. And that's driven by demand from the consumer. So that change is already happening. And you're seeing this on the sharp end because you're fundraising at the moment. It's not only that sort of pull demand change, it's the push demand. And that's coming from your regulation resistance and also your litigation. So bring those factors together and it's a great opportunity. Just to kind of come back on this notion of cultural change, I'm sure everyone can agree we don't want a kind of situation where UK farmers are just supply a kind of small but affluent section of the population whilst the majority of us are just relying on whatever cheap inputs we can get in some sort of post-Brexit trade deal. I think everyone should have the opportunity to eat food that's grown here in the UK by excellent UK farmers to really high standards at an affordable price. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that the use of pesticides has helped achieve that. 
It has helped achieve it, but it's old technology now. And I think there's new technology and new approaches that will allow us to feed people well and affordably without doing the damage that pesticides have clearly done over the last 70 years. Do you think the price of food would have to come up? I think the price of food is going to be subject to so many things, particularly in a post-Brexit environment. What will impact food prices more than anything else, though, of course, is climate change. And so whatever we do here, we've got to be trying to make sure that we are farming in a way that allows the land to sequester as much carbon as possible and reduce our emissions as much as possible, too. These are big issues. And if a few pennies more on our price of loaf were the price, I think it's one that's well worth paying. That was Maya Palmer talking to Helen Browning, Adam Speed and Andrew Diprose. And you can find a link to our special report on the future of food and agriculture in our show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with more news tomorrow, but in the meantime, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, take a look at our latest subscription offers at ft.com offer.